Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. for your anointing on this word this morning, Lord. Speak to our hearts, teach us your ways, help us to walk with you. Amen. Bless the Lord. You may be seated. Give someone a high five, be loving. Come on. Welcome, welcome. Good to see you all. I see Ruth and I always remember your name. Um... Mike, <gasps> wonderful, from the UK visiting. They sort of visit us once a year, very regular members of our church. So it's great to see you guys. Welcome again. And um, anyone else who's visiting, it's always lovely to have you. We have a few people that come at Christmas time, visit family and things like that. We love it. There's Michaela, the bride-to-be, not long. How many days is it? 30, 32 days, Yes. And Michaela bravely had her kitchen tea yesterday in 42-degree heat. So well done. It was absolutely beautiful. And she made a very, very beautiful bride at her kitchen tea. So I can only imagine how beautiful you will be in a very short time. So that's exciting. So we are looking at the names of Jesus in Revelation. Let's go there. Chapter 19 and verse 11. It says this, this is John speaking, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he would strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he was on his robe, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Earlier in chapter in Revelation 17, it also spoke about how they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So today we are looking at Jesus with that name. One of so many names, and what a great name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is the ultimate power and authority on this earth, in the universe, in all of creation. He is the ultimate authority. He said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. So clearly 
All authority was originally God's and is God's still because God and Jesus are one and God gave it to his son as fathers do and so it's all now in Jesus and God. It's a little confusing sometimes, the Trinity, but we understand that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he has complete authority. He has defeated every single spiritual enemy Every foe, everything that comes against you, whether it's being flat, broken Colombia or, or broken Australia or sick or, or diseased or, you know, being attacked by terrorists, whatever. There's so much that goes on in this world and we need to know that he has defeated Satan and every one of his demons and devils that operates on this earth to harass kill, steal, and destroy his people and anyone else he can. Jesus has defeated, he has all authority. And we need to know that. We need to remember that, that he's all powerful. Look in Colossians 2.15. It says this, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the, with the cross. He triumphed over them. There is, there is no opposition against you. There is no enemy against you that has any strength. They're disarmed. I mean, come on. If you're, if you're facing off, remember in the old-fashioned duels, you know, like they'd, what a strange thing. <laughs> and then they turn around and face someone and shoot. Well, the other guy hasn't got a gun anymore. So it's like, well, this is, this is easy. There's, there's no... There's no He's got no weapon against us. The devil, he just, he lies. He says he has. He says, oh, I'm so scared. I've got a big weapon. It's like, you have been disarmed. You have no weapon against me that can prosper because you've got nothing. Jesus has completely defeated everything that comes against you. And I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 2.8. And it says this, none of the rulers of this age knew that they didn't know the hidden wisdom of God, the hidden wisdom, the hidden clever plan of God. Because if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I love that so much. They think, we've got him, we've killed him. And then they're like, oh no, big mistake. If they had understood the power of that crucifixion, they would not have done it. Jesus and God, like the the crucifixion, they used that to destroy death itself. Who would have thought this was the hidden mystery of God, hidden for the ages? This is a profound disclosure of Satan's limited ability to anticipate the tactics of Almighty God. A reminder that God's sovereign power and omniscience are always the insurance of the believer's ultimate victory in Christ. That's from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. They have a limited ability to understand how God will work all things together for good for us. The devil is, he's not, it's not like God here and then the devil here and we sort of hope we're on the right side. It's like God has totally won. The devil is crushed under his feet. We have complete authority because we are in him. And it's just something that we need to realize and and relax in the total and ultimate authority and power of God. He has all power and glory and majesty and splendor. 
He is exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from him. He reigns over everything. In his hand is power and might to make great and give power to all. That's also from 1 Chronicles. So we know that he's the king with all power. How do we respond to this king of kings and lord of lords? Is he our king? Is he, he is the king, but is he our king or do we try to avoid him or try to pretend that we don't have to be under his rulership? Because what we need to do is understand that he's our king and submit to him and respect him and honour him and allow him to be our king. Because he won't force us. And we can run away, if you like, and rebel and just do our own little things. But that is crazy because eventually the Bible says, every knee shall bow. So you have a choice. You can bow now or you can bow later. But you will bow to the king of kings. Because he won't, in the end, put up with rebellious children. Even, even we don't, do we? We, let, we might let them go a little bit, but in the end... A good parent will go, no, that's enough. And in the end, Jesus will also. Everyone, every knee will bow because he's the king of kings and that's the way it should be. So my decision is to obey now (laughs) because he's a good king. I want to obey my king. I want to submit to him. I want to follow him because he has a great plan for my life. So why wouldn't I? He's not just my King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's also my Heavenly Father and my friend as I get to know him. So the first thing we need to do is to obey our King, to recognize and revere and honor him as King, to worship him as King and to obey him as King. And if we want to obey him, he will show us what to do. He really will. Sometimes people go, oh, I don't know what, you know, what does that mean? What does it look like to obey him? Like, how do I know the will of God? It's very easy to know the will of God. You've just got to want to, and he will show you. It's not hard. He's not, it's not like, I'm not going to tell you. If he doesn't tell you whether to have, you know, mint chocolate or raspberry chocolate, that's probably because it doesn't matter. But on everything that matters, he will make it clear. I love Psalm 32 verse 8. He says this, I will instruct you and guide you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. So that sounds like a good king, doesn't it? A good king lets his people know what he wants them to do. And then it's just really up to us, are we going to obey or not? Are we going to obey or not? That's up to us. That you really have to just, have you given him, have you really given him your life and said anything, anywhere, anytime, I'm totally yours. What do you want me to do? It can be a little scary. I can remember when I didn't want to say that to God because I didn't trust him. I can remember when I was kind of like, I'm not saying that. I don't, you probably want me to be a missionary or something. <laughs> and yes, he did want me to be a missionary. <laughs> it's funny because we sometimes run away from the very thing that we're called for, thinking that it will be terrible, but it was fantastic. I'm so glad that I was a missionary in Russia. It was a blessing. He's a good king. He's not a bad king. He's a good king. And then I remember when we were in Russia, actually, we were waiting to see where God would have us go next. We didn't know. Now we'd gone to Russia and sold the house and sold the car and dragged the kids over to Russia. (laughs) You know, now once once you sort of 
go out there, it's like, all right, what's next? Like you just, it's, it's a lovely feeling actually, letting go of your life because you feel so free. It's like, ah, oh, I've let go. Because I had a very narrow, I grew up in a part of Sydney where it's the North Shore of Sydney. Martin and Joe still live there. And there's a very narrow track. They, they have escaped. They have escaped. They, they've never really been on the track, actually. They were, they were the, I knew them when I was a child. They were, the, they were the goodings that lived opposite the road to me. But anyway, so there's a very narrow track, and I was on that track. And you go to the, the right school, you know, which I did. I went to the right school, and you're a good girl at school, which I did, and you get lots of prizes. I did all that. Then you go to university, tick, did that, got into the law school, did all the right things, you know, and you do, you stay on the track. Chris Brown was, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, so I, then I dropped out of law school. Mum and dad are like, yeah, right, that wasn't good. Then I went to Bible college. It was like, what is going on? I'm, I literally used to meet old school friends and they go, so what are you doing now, Ruth? Right, okay, like this kind of like, and, and, and they would talk to their friends, got, it would get back to me, have you heard about Ruth, she's like thrown her life away, she's just gone completely weird, totally religious, and you know, and they would talk about me, it was, and I, it, they, friends would tell me, and it was terrible, but yeah, I remember when Chris came along, it was like, and so what school did you go to? Not Knox, Martin, not Knox, oh dear, anyway, the point is this, once you get off the track that either your parents or your community or your society, and it's not all a bad thing, like it was, it was great. I'm very grateful for my upbringing and for the, the fabulous education that I had. Um, but, but it's, you know, God has a plan and I don't want to... I don't want to follow that plan, the North Shore plan, or I don't know, whatever you're the Brazilian plan, or the whatever is your plan, the Tankard plan. They've got a, their own kind of slightly <laughs> no plan plan. <laughs> we love the Tankards. They're just, they're, the Tankards and the Browns make a very good combination. But, um, you know, we, you can all have, maybe you have your own little Christian plan. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, we can make our little tracks and we think they're right, but God wants us to follow him. Lay your life down then just, okay, you're the king, what's next? It's so exciting. It's so exciting. And so, yeah, going to Russia, that was exciting. That was amazing. It was not our plan. And, you know, by now mum and dad had just lost all hope in this crazy. <laughs> and they were like, right, where, where are you going? I remember when we went and saw them. Mum, dad, we have something to tell you. <gasps> And by, I was in childbearing years in those days. I was popping them out. And they said, they knew I was pregnant. So when I said, I've got the new, some news, they went, you're having twins. No, no, no. We're going to Russia as missionaries. They were like, oh, you're so funny. What? And I'm like, no, really, we are going to Russia as missionaries. They were just, they just... Couldn't believe it. But anyway, bless them. They came to visit us a couple of times and got into it. And then when we were in Russia, we were praying. Now, now we're just we're anywhere. Anywhere, God. We'll do anything, go anywhere. And we didn't know where to go. And I remember the, the very night when um, Chris went to pray about where to go next. And we felt that we were going to pastor a church. But where? London. We went to London to check it out. Atlanta. We went to Atlanta, check it out, somewhere in Sydney. We didn't know. 
Phil, Pastor Phil Pringle had rung us some month, a month earlier and said, how about you go to the Central Coast? And we were like, yeah, nah. Because why would you go to the Central Coast? Central Coast is nice. I love the Central Coast. I used to come here for holidays. But it's a holiday destination or just, just normal. It was not special. It's like London, Paris, New York, thank you very much. Not, you know, the Central Coast. That's, that's just where we went for holidays. So Chris went downstairs, I remember, and prayed. And God spoke to him and said to start a church on the Central Coast. I don't think it was an audible voice, but it was very clear. Because he came up from, the prayer, from praying and he said, I think God's told me to start a church on the Central Coast. And I was like, oh, like that. Wow. And we had thought no when it was initially suggested to us, respectfully to our pastor, because even though it's good to submit to your pastor, he understood that we also had to hear from God on such a big decision. So... Um, so we just started to pray. And then my friend, I think you know the story. We had a friend that rang up and she said, I feel like God's just spoken to me and I've got a word for you and that, that you're going to start a church on the Central Coast. So there it was. It was like, all right. But here's the thing. Even though initially, in my mind, this was not the right place to start a church because I, didn't, I just didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't, it just didn't seem to appeal. Once God has spoken, then you go because he's your king. He's the king. He's my king. So it's like, right, that's where we're going. Let's get excited. And so here we are. And now I'm like, what a great place to live. I can't believe, like God just chose the best place for me to raise my family, pastor a church. It's just the best. I'm completely blessed and I wouldn't have chosen it myself. So we need to know that when we follow Jesus as our king, he will place us in the best places for us. He will show us the best life that we're meant to have. And in fact, I would say that there are Christians around who are not living their best life because they're struggling and to, to obey the king. What if we hadn't obeyed about going to Russia? What if we said it's too risky? What if we hadn't obeyed about going to the Central Coast and said it's too non-risky, <laughs> too, too obvious? You know, we... We have to listen to God and trust him in all of these big decisions. And that is in everything. He is the king. So not just who you marry and where you do church and and where you live, but things like, okay, now I'm going to serve you because you're the king. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything. You know, look at Maddie. She says, all right, I'll do do children's ministry. She said, I I used to love mainly my own children. (laughs) Now I love them all. We've just got to have that that attitude of serving God and open to his leadership. His leadership. He's the boss. We've got to get that into our hearts. And, you know, I have observed sometimes people outside of church, it's almost like their gifts and their ministries and their service, they don't know what to do with it. I've seen musicians who don't play because there's nothing to play for. I've seen leaders and servants who desperately trying to make it happen in the local soccer club, but it it's, can be a bit sad sometimes if it doesn't, you know, and that's a good thing to serve your community, but, but it's so good to serve the king of kings and find out the exact spot where he wants you to be. So let us do that. Let him be not just the king of kings, but my king, my king. And let's make sure that we teach our children the same thing. Teach them to obey. Our society is moving away from the concept of having a king at all, of having anyone that we obey. 
It's like I just do my own thing. I don't have to, I don't have to respect authority. It's like, yes, you do. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to bow. So be sure, we've got lots of young families here. Teach your children to obey you so that they know how to obey God. God is a little hard for a three-year-old to understand, but they do understand daddy and mummy. So teach them to respect and obey you. And I mean really obey. And let's make sure that we don't pathologize disobedience. If a child is disobedient, it's probably nothing wrong with them. They're probably just rebellious like the rest of humanity. Okay? Children are rebellious. They lie. They figure out lying at around about the age of four. They figure out how to sort of say, no, I don't want to. There's nothing wrong with them. That's normal. It's our job to teach them to obey. And it's very, very important because if they don't learn to obey us, it's unlikely that they will learn to obey the king. They probably won't obey their teachers. We've got a lot of teachers in the school who are quietly in the church. They won't, not looking at me now, but (laughs) they know. So, all right, we teach submission and obedience and we model it. I'll tell you something else about our children. They see us obey the king. They see it. And when our children see us obey the word of God and obey our king, and when they see us being blessed... They go, well, it worked for mum and dad. I'm going to do it too. They really do. So let us model that for our children. So he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Know that you are also a king. Did you know that? Revelation 1.6. He has made us kings and priests forever. To his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So... I love that we are also called to be kings. And I love that concept that we need to not just sort of obey him in a sort of a servile way, which is we do, we begin with that obedience and that servant heart. But he lifts us up to be kings as well because he's the king of kings. And we're the kings. He is our king, but we're kings too. And he wants us to learn how to work that same authority that he has. He wants us to learn how to go into our workplaces, not cower under all the horrible demonic things that happen in our workplaces, whether it's the selfishness or the, or the, the stealing or the, the lack of you know, wisdom. He wants us to be able to go, no, I am a king. I'm going to take authority in this place. I'm going to make a difference here. Whether it's in our workplace, our schools, our homes, our families, we're also called to be kings. And we need to learn how to take authority as kings. He has made us kings and priests to his God. So we need to know what it means. How does a king act? How how do we act as a king with our quiet, silent, strong authority? Perhaps when we're at work, we just observe, see what's going on. But when we go home and when we get into our prayer room, we need to just boldly declare the word of God and start to fight. There's a time to pray on your knees sort of meekly and there's a time to get really feisty and declare things and proclaim things and say, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Every tongue, every tongue that rises against me, I condemn. That's what the Bible says. And I declare that in my prayer room and I declare it over situations. So I, beca- I take a hold of that authority because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. So you go and make disciples. 
He wants us to take a hold of his authority, Christ in me, the hope of glory, and make a difference. Make a difference in our workplace for ourselves, but not just for us, but to make disciples, to tell other people about this awesome king and to bind the devil off their eyes because they can't see because the devil's blinded people. They're so blind, they just live for today. Our job is to take a hold of that authority as the king of kings and, and that he has and it's in us and make a difference in those people's worlds through prayer, through being like Jesus, through all of these things. Praise God. So he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's our king. We are kings. There are also earthly kings. And so I just want to finish on this point. The world sometimes seems chaotic and sinful and frightening and terrible. And it is. And one day he'll finish it all off and we'll start again. But in the meantime, Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight says this. The kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. So his sovereignty extends not just to individuals and communities and churches, but to nations. He does work in nations. He removes kings and he sets up kings. And in these times, these difficult times, 2023, but also 2020 and also 2018, you know, 1820, I mean, it's always been the same way. Any, any page you open in the book of history and you read the dreadful wars going on and the, the horrible situations happening, it's, it's never been any different. This world is very messy because there are so many people that don't acknowledge him as king. But I want us to be encouraged that we can trust God in these times to know that he uses nations for his divine purposes. He is the king of kings. And sometimes in the midst of it all, it can look like God's lost control. What's going on? The the world is crazy. But he is in control. And he is using nations. And he is actually, in the midst of all this craziness, he is looking after individuals. For us, death is, we hate to see death of any kind. It's just horrific. And the more death, the worse it seems. But, you know, as far as God's concerned, everyone's going to die. And he looks after each individual, every individual. He knows the time of their death and the manner of their death. And he's looking after them. And maybe it seems a bit unfair on earth. The good thing about God is that's just, that's just a, a brief moment. And he has all eternity to make everything right and everything just and fair. And in the meantime, on earth, we, can, we look to the word of God and we see how he used nations. It's so clear in the Old Testament. He used whole nations to bring about his plans, the Babylonian Empire. He allowed them to conquer Israel and take them into captivity. All the Jews, they all got taken out of Israel. It's happened before. And they all got taken out and taken to Babylon and it was terrible for them. But then the Persian king Cyrus was given, was spoken to, God spoke to him. He wasn't... He's not a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. He, you know, they didn't have Christians, but he didn't follow God. But God spoke to him and said, I want you to send, let the Jews go back to Israel. And so he did. It's a, God can just, he can work nations and kings just exactly as he wants. He often uses powerful nations and raises up kingdoms to either display his power or to 
to do his purposes. Look at the Roman Empire, which was brutal in many ways, and yet it provided the perfect opportunity for Christianity to spread. Because Jesus came at the time of the Roman Empire, the Roman infrastructure and the famous Pax Romana, which means that they they kept a certain measure of peace through this enormous empire that they had, meant that while Christians were being persecuted, they could also travel on roads and get away and move around. And so Christianity spread very quickly. His sovereign plan takes in the whole scope of history, past present and future and there is no way that we could possibly fathom the complexities of his plans he can turn a king's heart whenever he wants in Acts 17 26 it says this he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands interesting He plans their boundaries. He plans for the nations. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far. So his divine strategy in all these nations, turmoil, moving around and everything, is that they would seek him. Ultimately, he orchestrates events so that people will come to him. Even in the horror of war, it's so people will come to him. Even when George III agreed with the Royal Society, yes, yes, send Captain Cook, yes, let him discover Australia, yes, let's send Arthur Philip with a group of Englishmen to Australia. And we, you know, we think, why, why did they decide to do that? It didn't, because God wanted Richard Johnson, the first pastor, to come here and preach the gospel and bring the word of God to Australia. It was part of his plan. We're not terrible white people that just wanted to come and, you know, wreck up the country. It's God that sets the boundaries of nations. It's God that decides this thing. And why? So that they would perhaps reach out to him. So in all he does, he has an extraordinary plan that we cannot possibly fathom and understand, especially when we're in the midst of it. You can't can't see what's going on. But we know that God is good and we know that he is ruling and reigning on this earth. Praise God. King of kings and Lord of lords. And at the end of time, every king, president, leader, anyone in authority and every individual, we will stand before him. He will punish Satan and cast him into the lake of fire and have final victory. And we can find tremendous comfort knowing this, tremendous hope knowing that the events around us are ultimately in his control. We can surrender our lives. If he can organise nations, he can certainly organise our little lives. (laughs) And he does. And let's make sure that we recognise his lordship in our lives. And let's make sure that other people can look at us and see God's lordship in our life and can see from our life That the the kingship and the sovereignty of God is working out. Look at that person, clearly following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Let's pray. I want everyone here to consider whether they have allowed Jesus to be the King of their life and the Lord of their hearts. 
whether he rules in your life or whether you're running away from him or whether maybe you've only said a partial yes. Let's all put our hands on our hearts and agree with me. Father in heaven, you are our king. You are my king. You are my Lord. I give my life to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for leading me. I trust in you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.